HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Roberta's Pizza, robertaspizza.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We're back, or I'm back anyway. Judy McGuire still on Rumspringer, out on assignment somewhere in uh, the great wilds of uh, New York City, or at least that's what she's telling me on assignment. It's getting harder and harder to actually believe she's actually doing any good for this radio network. Judy, where the hell are you? Please come back. But I'm here, and I'm really thrilled to have uh, like, a, like an amazing, amazing uh, couple of guests here today. Uh, we are getting smart. Arts and seizures. Uh, more arts than seizures for a change. <laughs> um, uh, although we've definitely had some seizures in our, in our past, uh, I think, that we share. And we'll get to that. But um, today I am joined by uh, the design guru, the preeminent author and uh, professor of design and typography and everything um, related, uh, Stephen Heller. And I'm hey. really thrilled to have you here. I've been an admirer of yours for uh, a very long time. And you are the author of, I don't know, scads and scads of books, more than I could possibly name in the in this space. And, of course, um, you are a professor at uh, SVA and um, just spreading uh, good advice wherever you go. Well, thanks. Scad should be a number. A scad should be a number? I think it's 80 plus is what I have 80, here. Uh, no, it's 170. Wow. So that should be scad. Okay. <laughs> um, scad, what, is that one scad, 170? And also uh, joining us is Douglas uh, Riccardi, also a Hi. superstar of um, the design world. And um, he is, has his own firm, Memo, New York. Um, and uh, I asked you to be here today, especially because your menu design is so fabulous and so fantastic. And I consider menus, a good menu is like a masterpiece of communication. Well, thanks. And, um, and, and yours are fabulous. And uh, Stephen, of course, you have your new book out on infographics. And I thought, um, talking about graphics and communicating and how we do that and how it works together, I thought you two guys would be amazing to uh, engage in that conversation. But first, let's start off. What is an infographic? And how do we aim to communicate through graphics? Well, an infographic... Uh, think side of beef. 
<laughs> Perfect. Think butcher shop. And that's basically what an infographic is. It's a visual way of taking information and uh, explaining it. It's called data visualization now. It's called charts and graphs. It's, you know, there are many names that can be applied to it. But it's basically a breakdown of, of complex information into uh, visual bits. Well, it's, we've taken it so much farther. Um, I mean, and your book is great because it's sketchbooks of people designing infographics, and it's not pie charts and bar graphs and these sort of things we grew up with that are kind of boring. I mean, there's so much information and presented you know, in such a fanciful and exciting way. Um, I'm fine with the side of beef illustration, though. And the second you said it, I'm thinking right where the sirloin is. Um, Tells you what you need to know. <laughs> well, how much information is too much? I'm looking at some of these pages, and there's... It's, it's a bombardment of facts and stats of you know members in Congress and how much they make or, or air, pollution stats. Uh, it's just so much crazy going into it. How can you make sure that you're not overwhelming people? Well, overwhelming people is what they it tries not to do. So the best ones are simple, but not simplistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best ones really draw out the information as call outs. And allow you to uh, see things in a more compartmentalized way and then put the whole together. It's kind of like a puzzle, but it's not a puzzle that's going to vex you. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the same question for, for menu design. And um, you do a lot of work with uh, Joe and Mario, our friends. And those menus are great. I love the pizza mozza menu. And that's a lot of information. That's, uh, it's, a, it's a large format. Yeah, without menu. a doubt. Menu and that—that's a lot compared to the Roberta's menu, which I also admire for its brevity and simplicity. Um, I mean, I, the Mozart menu is the kind of thing you want to take home and put on your wall. I mean, it's pretty. That is sort of my end goal is hopefully to have, have something that people would want to take home and have as a souvenir of their, their dining experience there. And, and how do you how do you how do you come to that design? I mean, it's so much more. It's menu plus. <laughs> you know, designing a menu is just one sort of part of the puzzle that we do for our clients. It mm-hmm. sort of tell the story of what their experience is about, what their food is about, um, you know, the type of sort of evening that the guests are going to have at the place. I mean, the menu is just one more extension of that, but mm-hmm. obviously it's sort of more keyed like an infographic and sort of delivering, you know, what am I going to have for an appetizer, helping people guide through that whole experience. Joe Bastianjo, um told me when we were working on his book together that the menu is like the key way that they communicate their message to their customers. And also, if you see a menu that, you know, that has typos on it, leave the restaurant. Right. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> because it means that no one cares. Unless they've decided to spell steak differently. <laughs> oh, God. But so- also, probably most restaurants in the United States do their menus about 5 o'clock when they're starting service at 530. Mm-hmm. So um, you've got to forgive a few typos every so often. Well, you know, um, our mutual friend Al Goldstein, and we'll, and we'll get to that, um, talk about our... our uh, our time at Screw Magazine as inmates at Screw, he used to always say that a typo in Screw was much worse than a typo in the New York Times. Because, and when I worked at High Times too, I used to beat into those guys. A typo here, people just assume that we're all fucked up. But, but the New York Times says, what, 360,000 words seven times you know, a week with like 500 editors. If they make a mistake, it's because they were busy. You know, they were in Beirut trying to report on a war. If we do it, it's because we weren't paying attention. It makes sense. <laughs> I also have a menu connection because I did the introduction for Tashin's book on menu history. And what was great about those menus is that they go back in time. So they're they're food histories of America or France, Mm -hmm. and you learn so much from what was first, second, and third in the courses and what kind of foods were popular at that particular time. 
like I think the old, we were looking for an old, menus for an old project and for Floran actually and the old homestead used to serve like a half a kidney on toast or something right. which is you know you would never find anywhere today and that was the appet- that was the uh, <laughs> that was just getting you started cleanser. exactly right uh, when you when you do work on a menu do you, do you eat the food we typically get to eat the food I was just talking to Steve before we got here that um, a lot of times our restaurant clients haven't opened a restaurant yet and they don't have a kitchen so I sort of take it on faith that the food is going to be good and generally it is but every so often there's a kind of outlier there um, we try to eat the food um, going through the, the, the book on infographics just talk about like, taking you know, to the extreme one of my favorites was how to deliver a baby because yeah. I feel like now I can deliver a baby. Can, can you? Uh, well, it's put me to the test. <laughs> the thing you have to do first, though, is wash your hands <laughs> after every touch. I, I would think being clean is very important to the whole, the whole business of design as well as uh, delivering um, babies. Um, you know, everybody works on computers these days, um, and we sort of have all access to the same fonts. I mean, is that a danger that things are going to be coming too samey? No. I, mean, I just feel like, you know, I mean, certainly a less skilled designer, you know, it's very easy. Anybody can design something, you know, with an Apple computer these days. Well, is anybody it, it can, but anybody could design things with press type when that came out or make copies with a Xerox. What's The reason why I've done a series of sketchbook books, because mm-hmm. I've also done graphics in general, typographics, cartoons comics as sketchbooks is because the hand is something that an artist can't live without uh you know a pencil is something that is still the primary tool our fingers are still the real digital art and so as long as you have those things whatever comes out of a computer template is just what comes out of a computer template it's still the human force that changes and manipulates I'd have to agree with that. I mean, you know, it all starts with your head or your hands. And, you know, just because everyone can use the same seven typefaces that Apple conveniently loads on their computers doesn't mean that, you know, thankfully all menus don't use those same seven typefaces. Oh, thank God. I think if thank I saw God. a menu in Comic Sans, I would flee, even, even if otherwise it was perfect. Anything in Comic Sans, <laughs> except for a last will and testament. I think that would <laughs> you, know, may, you know, maybe that's what that's going to be my last statement. I actually <laughs> didn't typeset my last will and testament, but I think I should get on that. There you go. It's a new hey, project. You, you should, you know, it should look like uh, I'm going to letterpress it, know, actually, just to make uh, it really official. Uh, on some distressed parchment. Exactly. Well, you know, the letterpress and stuff, I mean, I, I came up, you know, doing magazines, and they're making mechanicals with, like, you know, overlays and, you know, with the tissue paper. And, uh, well, actually, my first gig, uh, I was working for a professional wrestling magazine, and I used to use an electric typewriter. And I'd collect, I'd, I'd edit stuff on the page, and I would bring it down to this old Jewish guy who had um, this typesetting uh, machine that was about the size of a Zamboni truck, right? Like, like a good humor ice cream truck about the same size, and just reeked of photochemicals, because that's what it was. Oh, it was a stat kick. Was, uh, um, is that what it was? I mean, it, it was huge. I mean, it was you like... You put your hands in it. I, I did. I brought it to the old Jewish guy whose job it was to do this. No, there was, there was this thing. It was very <laughs> sensual, actually. You put your hands through these rubber... Uh, holes mm-hmm. and you manipulate the paper in its own little self-contained dark room and of course you try not to get anything on your skin or hands because <laughs> it turns radical colors <laughs> but um yeah well, it came, well like i said it was was photo it was chemical based and it came out in long strips of uh reproduction quality uh, type repro proof uh which then another guy would cut up and there were exacto knives and the waxer of course um I don't even. Does people even know what that is anymore? A waxer? My are, students don't. They think it's a candle maker. 
<laughs> Are, do you think um, we've lost something because we're not doing things by hand because we didn't learn? And I think my work is better because I had a boss who said to me, I need a caption. It needs to be 82 pikes wide, two lines. And there were no widows allowed. And if it didn't come to the end of the second line of the caption, come to the end of the line, I got yelled at. You know, I'd have to have a sense of what a pico was. Does anybody even know what that is anymore? They, yeah. yeah, there are things that people still know. But I don't think uh, we've lost much. You know, every time we gain something, we, we do move ahead a couple of steps. What we have lost is what I used to have to deal with when I did mechanicals. Everything was off-center. Everything was a little crooked mm-hmm. because that's the way I was. And now things are baseline. It's nice. It's uh, maybe are we losing some of the charming inconsistencies. I mean, you haven't lived until you've made, you know, third pass type corrections at nine point Bodoni for a magazine that has to go out tomorrow morning. I mean, it's like stripping in A's and E's at nine point was, you know. And we used to do that. So, you know, I have no nostalgia or romance for the past. My nostalgia is for the future. I like that. Well, and me, I have a bright future behind me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I do. I do though miss the days. I mean, it's it's funny to tell the stories. I mean, the grandpa stories and Wild West stories of guys walking around, you know, the office with like an E at the end of an exacto night, you know, to fix the typo or cutting for space. I mean, as a writer too, this affects us because the whole concept of cutting for space or having to write like, a caption to length because now you can just sort of track it out. Well, well we used to do it at the New York Free Press, which is where I met Al Goldstein. We used to just say, it's too long, cut the last paragraph. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'd have to cut into the last sentence and then you'd put the period mm-hmm. by hand. But, you know, it's kind of like people who rom- romanticize New York. In the old days when there were horse-drawn carriages, you'd step in shit all the time. <laughs> and that's basically what you had to do with uh, cut and paste. Uh, I still, I still have this feeling, though, even with photography, that learning in a dark room—at least I learned it, that it was light. I had a sense of what it, the thing was I was working with, and I think I feel like we've lost a lot of that with with the computers. And also, again, like everybody's got the same font. No, I mean, hand lettering—who's doing that anymore? A lot of people. I, yeah. I have three books out just uh, on hand lettering. Um, you got, you guys are the one percent. <laughs> no, there are lots of people because. Ultimately, what it comes down to is when their parents say, what do you do as an artist? Do you draw pictures? And they end up saying, yeah, I'll draw these pictures of letters and things like that. Uh, you know, it's, we all doodle. We all sit around and doodle, I presume. And that's using the hand. Right. So who, who else have you worked for? What are some of the challenges of menu designs? We talked about pizza mozza for a second. Um, but you've done some wonderful uh, stuff. And branding as well, because it's not just the menu design, right. it's branding. The biggest challenge now is that you know, my first menu when I worked at for Emma Company back in like uh, when was that? Nineteen eighty six. It was a big piece of plexiglass that was silk screened in ten colors, and the menu items were silk screened on this thing. And like we changed it maybe twice a year if we were lucky. Um, now chefs just can't commit, so we kind of <laughs> never really know what the items are really. So you know, they they all want to do it in house, and so the concept that we're not really controlling the whole thing is, is opened up this whole new can of worms on a certain level because we, we want to make it look as designed as possible but we also are handing this thing over to them so it, it is a sort of a little bit of a tug of war well, menus have become dynamic sort of I mean, they change all the time. And right. Roberta's menu, which um, I think is its own sort of masterpiece, but it's, it's very simple. Um, you know, it's, it's black type on a white piece of paper and it tells you what the pizzas are today but it changes every day right um but, you know, I like the vibe because it just uh, happens to be very thoughtful. Um, talking about hand lettering and stuff, and um, 
I was looking at uh, some of the stuff you've written about punk rock fanzines as well, and I just I feel like that's something also that's it's, again it's not that cut and paste like uh, back at Screw. I mean, RMO was to there's a big stack of like eight by ten some gay porn magazines, and anybody that we didn't like, we just cut stop their head on there, um, which because that, that was just sort of, sort of the base baseline level of humor at Screw. Um, now, of course, you don't need scotch tape to do those things. Sure. But, I, but I like the look. I like the vibe. And I like the exploration process of making it work. But the exploration process, you can still do in that manner. Then you scan it, and then you refine it. There's, I guess the change is that refinement in those old days, uh, those prehistoric days, uh, required a lot more effort. Mm-hmm. And now refinement can be done in a more... Uh, it don't, it often comes, way. Sometimes people start with refinement and then they add the content later. Yeah, right. But also, what I liked about those olden times, the olden times, um, when you were working with Letraset and cut out stuff, is that you worked with what you had. Like, you just sort of made do with stuff. If you didn't have uh, one photo, you kind of slipped in another. Like, the, the sort of thinking on your feet and working with what you had was kind of sort of an art, I think, that now everyone's, everything's at your fingertips and people kind of don't. Yeah, I th- think that's true of not just the design world, but... Um as a, as a writer, I mean, I sometimes just sort of laugh and wonder how I did anything before the internet when I had to go to the public library, you know, which is unwieldy and difficult to use to, you know, look something up as opposed to pushing a button. Well, as a writer, I'm always amazed that I used a typewriter because I pull out so many pieces of paper basically from the roll of the typewriter. I, I do my first paragraphs 35, 40 times before I get a first paragraph, mm-hmm. and that's before I even start editing the first paragraph. How you could do that with a typewriter is amazing. You know, it would take for years, for hours, for months. Uh, and now it's, it's cut the time frame down considerably and allowed more time for thinking. Uh, I, like, I like that you say it's allowed more time for thinking because I sometimes wonder why with all this ease on this computer, I'm cutting, I'm pasting, I'm judging sentences, you know, halfway to death and... I'm assuming, and I, I guess uh, in, in your business as well as uh, as me being a writer, re- revision is the key to like producing good good product. It's revise, revise, revise. They all say, but much easier to do on an Apple computer. I can't believe I've only you know written a handful of books and not like 400. I mean, what is? I think about a guy like Tolstoy, you know, or Dickens, uh, who are pretty productive with a, with a quill pen. We don't know whether they had a computer or not. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to go, go way back. Uh, you're listening to Arts and Seizures on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, this is Mike Edison. Liz, why don't you uh, give us a little music? We'll come back in a couple minutes. Spicy Peanuts by Evan Hashi.
My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hey, my name is Betsy Andrews, executive editor of Severa Magazine, and I am hanging out at the coolest, most delicious place in the world, heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're back. It's Mike Edison, Judy McGuire, out in the field, or so I've been told. I'm here with uh, Stephen Heller um, and, and Douglas uh, Riccardi, uh, two design gurus. I'm really thrilled to have you guys here. And um, Stephen and I actually have uh, some commonality in our careers, um, and that is our old friend Al Goldstein in Screw Magazine. You were the first art director of Screw, is that right? I was. Crazy. So what was the screw office like back then? Our friend Danny Hellman texted me today and says, make sure you ask him how he got anything done with all those naked hippie chicks sitting on his desk. I wish there were naked hippie chicks sitting on my desk. I was 17 years old and I was a bit naive. Um, oh, we all are when we first go to the Screw. The one thing that I, I, I like to tell about Screw is that the person who provided most of our orgy pictures, which were very tame by today's standards was the Japanese artist Kusama, who has had two exhibitions at MoMA and is world-renowned as an artist because of her polka dots. And she used to set up these crazy, phony orgy shots with her models all wearing polka dots or lying in her soft sculpture. And she would call up on the phone maybe once a day and say, I got more shots for you. (laughs) And she'd to the point where I'd have a beard answer the phone and say, no, he's not here. And she'd just come up anyway with these stacks of photographs, which are now extremely valuable because they're part of her oeuvre. Uh, and, of course, the cover of Screws uh, were famous. I mean, pretty much every underground cartoonist of note came through that office at some time or another. There were lots of uh, artists who I used. My theory was, and it paid off later on, was that if I put artists who were at the New York Times or Newsweek or Time magazine on the cover... When we were brought to court for pornography, I could make the case that we actually had redeeming value because we used redeemable people. Were, were you around for any of the early Al Goldstein uh, obscenity trials? I was. Well, I had my own trial because I was publisher of the New York Review of Sex and Politics, and we were busted along with Al. But I was uh, a hostile witness in Wichita, Kansas, for the. Um, uh, for a pandering trial that uh, Wichita was the hub of the U.S. Postal Service. So I was subpoenaed and brought out there and told I was going to be a hostile witness. And I told uh, my our lawyer, who was also my own lawyer, Harold Price Farringer. A great man. I call him the Joe DiMaggio of the First Amendment. He is that indeed. And uh, I told him, this isn't going to go well for them because I have this strategy that I've been planning. It's like a mole. I planned it for years. And when I got up there and they'd show these pictures uh, and say, what's redeemable about this? I could just go into a long litany. And you could see the uh, prosecutor wincing each time I opened my mouth. Uh, crazy, crazy days for sure. And also, uh, you were just telling me before this, which I didn't know, is that you do Tom Forsad, uh, the founder of High Times, uh, where I was also an inmate for a few years. Well, High Times came out around, I forget what year now. 74. Uh, East Village Other, where I had also spent time, the New York Free Press, the New York Rat, 
we were all, you know, uh, one big happy uh, fractious family. And uh, so Forsad was doing his antics in Congress and all of that stuff when he decided to uh, start High Times. And many of the people who worked on High Times were people who worked with me at Screw or at the uh, uh, East Village Other. There, there used to be quite uh, personnel sharing and a friendly, friendly um, camaraderie between Screw and High Times. Unfortunately, when I was there, it sort of kind of erupted because the hippies, the old guard hippies didn't like Al, they decided, not realizing that they had this you know, long-time uh, relationship that Al had written for the magazine, that he was friendly with everybody, that Screw was even an anti-war magazine of sorts when it started out. Um, and and Al, too, he wanted to swap ads. And the people before me said, no, we don't want to put a screw ad in high times. And he was, fuck you, okay? Your sanctimonious little drug magazine is okay, but my dope, ma- but my sex magazine is not? Well, that's just it. Al was a pioneer. I mean, he is as important in American culture as Lenny Bruce was. I concur. Without, for Al, without Al, who was a crazy guy. I mean, we were friends for a long time. We were enemies for a short time. We were friends again for a long time. But without Al, there would not be be a lot of the free speech that HBO enjoys today. I, I agree 100%. And um, by the way, to be friends with Al and then to um, be enemies with him and be friends again is about par for the course. It's also about the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Douglas, did you ever work in pornography? <laughs> no, I can't say How I did have. you dodge that bullet? <laughs> Uh, what, what are you working on now? What are, what are the trends that we're seeing both in uh, menu design and uh, graphic design uh, in general? Are we seeing any, the world moving in any one direction? Oi. Um... I don't know, but there's a. Actually, you said there isn't a lot of hand lettering, and I think there's sort of an amazing amount of hand lettering around these days, which is kind of fantastic. Um, brings us back to graphic design roots, you know, lithography and people just drawing one offs, and it's, you know, it's it just. I follow a bunch of people on Instagram, and there's like every single one has another thousand. I mean, it's just a, sort of amazing. Um, other trends, Steve? Well, I, the program I co chair at the School of Visual Arts is Designer as Entrepreneur, and I think. The trends are less stylistic and more uh, experiential and existential. And entrepreneurship is one of those trends that uh, more and more people are doing because of the media that you describe, because there's Twitter, because there's Etsy, because there's the Internet. It allows people to create uh, content that they wouldn't have been able to get out into the world 20 years ago. Well, that's the democracy of the Internet. We've... uh and we talked about that a lot here on this show, um, that punk rock sort of finally won, that now you don't need you know, a corporation to distribute your art. But on the other hand, there's no barrier to entry, so we're kind of, have we been diluted a little bit by too many people thinking they can do No, because the, the market always governs its own. You know, if something isn't good, it's not going to be picked up. That doesn't mean something that's good doesn't get any, uh, can fail. You know, there are lots of things that are great and people just don't appreciate it because it's either ahead of its time or it hasn't reached the right audience. But I, I think the dilution uh, is not such a bad thing. It's better to get – I mean, the, the whole mantra now is make, 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 which means you try and try and try rather than stifle, stifle, stifle. And things don't have to be perfect. I mean, you know, I think the beautifulness – the beautiful fact that it's sort of a little more disposable, so – you make stuff you put it out there and if it's not perfect you'll do another one tomorrow and you'll redeem yourself well I mean a lot of design I mean it should be disposable I mean at the magazines at the end of the month you put you throw it away or it's off the newsstand screw was a weekly I mean it was amazing with screw I mean it was 52 times a year you know people I tell people how many issues of screw there were at the end it was 2200 I mean how do you, it was incredible the amount of work that came and went and of course you had to let go at some point right but there used to be 
where you'd end up putting a, an investment in and the investment was considerable and you could go broke with one failure. Now you don't have to make the same investment, so you don't go broke so quickly, which means those people who have the the great one idea, the big idea, can find it through trial and error much easier and, and with less pressure on their shoulders. That's encouraging. Well, as ever, it has been the fastest half hour on the internet today. It's Arts and Seizures. Before we go, though, uh, tell us about your new book and uh, where we can find you on the internet. And uh, Well, I've got a bunch of new books. I mean, you're, you're the super busiest guy. Information graphic sketchbook uh, is uh, done with, co-authored with Rick Landers, and he did a beautiful job of designing the book. And it's a wonderful experience to go through it and see how people get to their end point. And that's what I love about sketchbooks. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the book as well because it, it is great to see, uh, you know, from the, the seed of the idea to something that is very well executed on, on like a completely high level. Like, you know, I know, let's send a man to the moon and then we build the rocket. It's nice, nice to be there when the guy was at the bar with the idea. Well, it goes to what Douglas was saying. You don't have to be perfect. Certainly, you don't have to be perfect in the beginning stages. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what are you working on? I mean, we didn't uh, talk about some of the other menus you've done. I mean, so, so much great stuff and book covers as well. We just did a great book from Mario Batali, a farm to table book, mm-hmm. uh, sort of exploring America's sort of 12 American great american farmers and the recipes that they inspire um which is out on the newsstand since october um we are doing a very big project up by grand central from the guys from urban space it's a sort of market sort of hall for lack of a better term 28 vendors right around by, by uh, grand central which is great opening in march um a few restaurants around town and you've, you've worked a lot with barrio and his hospitality group. yes since uh, actually poe days Wow, so you're going way back. And uh, is Mario still as uh, footloose and fancy-free as he once was? Fantastic. I think he's in Paris for his anniversary weekend this week. That's great to know. And your website is, because it's filled with like, lots of examples of your work. Memo-ny.com. Memo-ny.com. And, Stephen, your website is? Well, I do the Daily Heller, which is on Print Magazine, and I also have a website, hellerbooks.com. Well, listen, for those of you out in Radioland, I cannot recommend checking these guys out enough. I'm really thrilled uh, that you're both here. Uh, Stephen, I've wanted to meet you for the longest time. Thank you very much uh, great. for coming yeah, on. Great. And now we've got my favorite infographic, the pie chart in the shape of a Roberta's Pizza. So we're going to get to that, and we'll see you guys next week on Arts and Seizures. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.